and welcome to Way Too Seriously, the podcast where we watch kids' movies and then take them way too seriously. I'm Paul Moffat. I'm Jan Moffat. And this week we watched and we'll be talking about Holes. Jan, do you want to tell us a bit about this movie? Holes is a 2003 film. It is directed by Andrew Davis and it's based on the novel by Lewis Sacker. It stars... A very young Shia LaBeouf, La- Shia LaBeouf, Halo Thomas, Henry Winkler, Sigourney Weaver, John Voight, Tim Blake Nelson, Patricia Arquette, and Dulé Hill, among many others. Paul, what is the plot of the movie Holes? Stanley Yelnats is wrongfully convicted of having stolen a famous pair of sneakers and sent to do time at Camp Green Lake, a juvenile detention center where the campers are made to dig holes every day, ostensibly to build their character, but really to search for a hidden treasure that the warden knows has been hidden somewhere in the dry lake. Stanley finds the treasure, frees his, clears his name, undoes a family curse, and brings water back to the lake. And everyone ends happily, except for the bad people, who end unhappily, as is probably appropriate. Yeah, it basically weaves a lot of, like, past and present stories together. It does. So, I mean, I, there's backstory that I'm sure we'll get to as we're talking it over, but that was the plot of the present. The two other backstories that maybe I should... Uh, mention before we really go into it are in Stanley's past his great great grandfather uh accidentally stole a pig from an old gypsy woman who cursed the family and so Stanley's family all have bad luck he meets her great grandson great great grandson at the camp and undoes the curse and then the other backstory is where Camp Green Lake once stood, or where Camp Green Lake stands, there was once a town that was cursed by God for uh, being bad. And the uh, once innocent school teacher, Kate, becomes the notorious outlaw kissing Kate Barlow, right? Yeah. So objectively speaking, in terms of the craft of movie making, how good of a job is everyone doing on this movie? Well, we went into this movie having just finished reading the book to our kids. Yep. We read did it allowed for bedtime stories. And it I feel like it is one of those movies that is extremely faithful to the book. And so I really enjoy many of the elements that it has in common. Mm -hmm. Just like the clever, the storytelling. And the script was done by Lewis Sacker, the author of the book. Mm -hmm. The way in which the story is woven so that you slowly understand how everyone is connected to everyone else. And you have these layers of the main character is Stanley Yelnats the fourth. And then his the story of his great-great-grandfather, and that comes into the story of him at the camp interacting with this other boy, Zero, who turns out to be related to the uh, 
gypsy woman who put the curse on him and he breaks the curse by befriending him. And then there's also the discovery of the treasure that was actually his great grandfather's treasure. And it just builds, slowly builds this whole mystery and you just understand all the pieces. As is said in the narration, it's about filling in the holes. Yep. And so I feel like so much of the clever storytelling is about holes as a literal and as a metaphor. I just think the writing of this movie is very clever and very well done. Yeah, I agree. I think the two aspects of writing I always want to talk about are the like structure of the storytelling and then the dialogue and the script. And I think both are really good in this movie. Mm-hmm. I think especially the the script is good, but the structure of the story is quite well put together. Mm-hmm. There's a bit of a, I feel like in the movie, maybe a little more than in the book. There's a bit of a mismatch tonally sometimes. Mm, yeah. That sometimes the Camp Green Lake is very, you know, Lewis Sackers famously wrote uh, Sideways Stories from Wayside School is his other major, he's written a lot of things, but that's his other really big uh, book and series. Mm-hmm. And Sideways Stories from Wayside School is very like zany, almost cartoony, uh, exaggerated, very broad humor. Mm-hmm. And Holes, the digging, the book a little bit, but I think the movie more. The digging of the Holes and Stanley's life is a little cartoony sometimes. And then there's a bit of a tonal mismatch, especially between that and then the backstory of Sam being shot for being a black man who kissed a white woman. Mm-hmm. That's and the like, point. you're telling me both a story about, uh, you know, Sam being shot on the lake for kissing Kate and also Stanley getting hit from by running shoes that fell from the sky because he, that he brought home because his dad's trying to cure foot odor. Mm-hmm. You know, like those are a little tonally mismatched. Yes, that's a good point. There, there is a, that is a problem. And then I think it's worse in the movie than in the book. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. But that said, I think there's still, it's still quite well constructed with the pieces coming together in very satisfying ways. Mm-hmm. How about the acting in this movie? Well, first of all, I think this uh, remains Shia LaBeouf's best role ever. <laughs> wow. All right. <laughs> That's, you, you really not like Shia LaBeouf? No, I just think this is his best ever role. (laughs) Uh, He's, in this movie, he's basically a cipher. Like, he's a very, he's not a very strongly characterized character. Hmm. Uh, And his performance matches that too. Like, there's a lot of him just kind of blankly reacting and looking at things. Yeah. Everyone else is exaggerated to the point of almost being caricature. And Stanley is just like looking at the world around him flabbergasted. Yeah. I think it's very effective. Speaking of best role, I feel like this is John Voight's best role. (laughs) (laughs) I can't name one that's better. Because 
just his campy like acting and his like bow-legged walking his constantly nervous twitches and like he's all in yeah you know like he is fully dedicated to this ridiculous role and it's hilarious and it's just and i feel like it's the same with sigourney weaver Mm -hmm. that they are very yeah dedicated to making to being their ridiculous role even when it's ridiculous Mm -hmm. and i like uh, yeah he never john voight never fails to make me laugh every time he's on screen yeah, he's hilarious. And especially there's one scene where he shoots at a yellow spotted lizard and then just like walks around in the dark with his gun up and like sidling to the side and taking these big bow legged steps. And it's all physical comedy that is extremely funny. Mm-hmm. Yep. And Sigourney Weaver, too. I think she's great in this movie. I think she's very scary uh, to a kid. Yeah, exactly. Like she very. Uh, effectively sells how scary the warden is and also how kind of selfish and shallow she is at the same time. Mm-hmm. I think she does a great job. And Tim Blake Nelson. I don't yeah. think this is not my favorite role from him. My favorite role from him is in Oh Brother Where Art Thou? Mm-hmm. But I think this is second. Yeah. He's really great in this. So most of the adults are doing great. The The past characters... Uh, Patricia Arquette is fine, mm-hmm. I think. I don't think she's outstanding. But yeah. I, I don't really have a complaint about her. I just no, don't think she's she, pretty good. She does fine. Uh, I think she does a little better as uh, Kiss and Kate Barlow, the outlaw, than she does as mm. uh, yeah. Kate, the school, school teacher. teacher. Yeah, I agree. And Dulé Hill is great as Sam. He did, They don't call on him to do very much just kind of stand around and be kind. Yeah, uh, I don't know. I feel like I fall in love with him in this movie. He's just so, <laughs> maybe that's just the character. Yeah. But. I feel like what they ask him to do, he does perfectly well, but they don't require very much of him as yeah. an actor. And then you have all these kids. Yeah. Tons and tons of kids in this movie, boys in this movie. I like every one of them except Twitch. Yeah, yeah. I feel like, yeah, it almost feels a little like an 80s movie with yep. all these kids. Like, I almost feel like, oh, yeah, these aren't the same actors as... There's one kid who really reminds me of Hook. Yeah. And I was like, it couldn't possibly be him because this is, like, 20 years later. So yep. <laughs> there's a few thing, few moments like that where... And, and Twitch, when he showed up, really reminded me of, like, someone from the Goonies, I think. Like, it just... Like a Corey or something. But <laughs> I had to remember that they're not. And and none of them have really gone on to anything except like Shia LaBeouf, obviously. Yeah. But none of them have really gone on to much of anything. But I felt like they all did great. It felt like to me this was a fun set to be on. Mm-hmm. Like it kind of was the summer camp. And. I mean, the summer camp wasn't fun. <laughs> no. It was yeah. like it was like they were at that camp, but for fun, you know. The kid who, other than Shia LaBeouf, the kid who I think really stood out was the kid who played Armpit, who I assume is the one who's reminding you of uh Yeah, he's the one who Hook. reminds me of Hook. He was really great. Mm-hmm. I'm, su- I'm surprised that he didn't go on to anything because yeah. he was really good. 
he was hilarious and great. I also thought X-Ray was good and Zero was good. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, agreed. That to get that many boys to act that well was, I respect that this director, who is Andrew Davies, who is who also directed the uh, Line the Witch in the Wardrobe, I believe. Oh, did he? Yes. He, this movie is one of the early Walden Media yeah. movies. Hmm. Uh, so I think he directed a few of those. Now I'm trying to figure out what they were. And maybe I am wrong. Wald Media, this is Wald Media, and Wald Media famously, I don't know, famously, famous to me, they did a lot of book adaptations really well for a while. Mm -hmm. I think Narnia was kind of the end of their run of really good book adaptations. He did not do Narnia. I don't know who I was thinking of, but it is not him. The director of Narnia is also named Andrew. Oh, that's why I was confused. I can't remember his last name. Andrew Staunton. Mm, okay. Director of Narnia also directed Shrek, I think. Oh, okay. I could be wrong about that. Um, but, like, no matter what you think of The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, the uh, Prince Caspian is not well received. And so Prince Caspian is kind of the end of Walden Media's run of doing really good book adaptations. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, really? Holes was their second one. And later on they had I Am David because of Winn-Dixie. Hoot, How to Eat Fried Worms, Bridge to Arabithia, like all those ones. There was a movie of I Am David? Yeah. I loved that book. Yeah. Oh, man, that book had a huge impact on my worldview. Hmm. Anyway, we're getting off topic a little bit. Way off topic, but Walden Media tends to be, tended to be really good for a while there. And Holes, I think, is show, like shows a bit of the uh, ethic of Walden Media that they'll continue for a long time, which is book adaptations that respect the source material a lot. Mm-hmm. And you can say good or bad things about that. Sometimes if you respect the source material and the source material isn't great, that can be a mistake. Yes. But uh, for good or for ill, Walden Media respected the source material for a, their early movies. A lot and mm-hmm. clearly and holes is like an example of that yeah screenplay written by the book writer the director i think really demonstrates a good reading of this book mm-hmm. like they andrew davis is that it davis. uh clearly read the script closely read the book closely has a grasp of everything that's going on in it The performers are all good. I really like the music in this movie. Yeah, there's some good good songs. The soundtrack is great, actually. Yep. It uses uh, um, uh, Down to the River to Pray, mm-hmm. which is, it's three years after Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Uh, and also has Tim Blake Nelson in it. Yes. Um so funny. I remember after Brother Art, though, Down to the Root to Pray was, like, so popular and it showed up everywhere. Yeah. So that's maybe the weak point in the soundtrack. It's a little bit, like... Derivative. Y- y- derivative. But their song about, like, digging a hole yeah. is really good. And a lot of the music throughout is really excellent. Mm-hmm. Well chosen. Well and chosen. fits the, th- the mood of the movie really well. Mm-hmm. I thought the directing was mostly good. He got good performances out of all the actors. He really, this director really likes 
slow motion scenes of realization that I don't, that I think were overused. Yeah. There was a lot of this, like, it goes silent and someone looks uh, in a different direction and it was... And everything goes slow. Yeah. And like, if it would have used, been used once or twice, that would have been okay, but the, it was used too many times. Yep. Yeah. So non-objectively, how much did you enjoy this movie? A lot. I enjoyed this movie a lot. Mm-hmm. Even after, like, I enjoyed the book a lot. We read the book with our kids, as you said, and we read it because we were camping. We ended up reading the whole book in three nights, and I really liked it. I've read it before, but our whole family really liked it. Our it was kids bit, really liked it. It was a bit funny it. because we were trapped in our tent because it was pouring down rain, and we're reading this book that's all about, like, it's not raining, it's all hot, and they can't get a drink, and we're like, I have no idea what that feels like. <laughs> <laughs> But even after, like, we've talked a couple of times on this show about adaptations mm-hmm. and about trying not to let the, you know, difference between a book and a movie be what you are judging the quality of the movie for. But in terms of enjoyment, I can't deny that that's a factor. Mm-hmm. But even having read the book so recently, like two days before, I still really enjoyed the movie. This movie was presented to me years ago in uh, my undergrad uh and i can't remember who said it but some person uh said like the best movie that he had ever seen was holes and we were all like what are you talking about he's like it's a really good movie you should just go watch it (laughs) and then we did we were like this is a pretty good movie and i can will never i wish I could remember who it was, but I will never remember, I will never forget that conversation mm-hmm. because it was a surprising movie to have recommended in that context. And I still think it stands up. I think I enjoy it a lot. I think it's a pretty good movie. How about you? How did you enjoy it? I enjoy it quite a lot. Um, I honestly enjoyed it slightly less this time than I usually do, hmm. which is interesting. I... I enjoy so many things about it that we've already said, the music and the acting and and the story and everything. But I felt watching it this time, I don't know, maybe it was because it was with my kids. There's a little bit of mean meanness to the boys mm-hmm. that is a bit harsh sometimes. Like how mean they are to Stanley and to Zero, especially to Zero. Yeah, And it's one thing to read that, and it's another thing to see an actual kid be told, like, you're worthless, you mean nothing. And you're like, ooh, that makes me uncomfortable. So I think that that just affected my viewing of it this time for some reason. Mm. But I still really enjoy it. I still really enjoy, uh, yeah, like the, the weaving of the story, the love story between Miss Catherine and Sam is so sweet and so romantic and so tragic that I love it. That's my favorite part of this movie, favorite part of the book. Even though it has, it's a very small part of the overall story and overall in the book as well. But it is just really sweet. The way he fixes everything for her. And then, and it's kind of reminds me of, uh, the Princess Bride, yep. when it's like, every time he was saying, I can fix that for you, what he really meant to be saying was, I love you. <laughs> I was going to say, it has 
with the Princess Bride, one of the all-time best, like, lines Mm -hmm. in a romance story, I think. Like, when I say lines, I don't mean speeches. I mean, like, little phrases. Yeah. Of the, like, I can fix that. And then, my heart is breaking. I can fix that. Yeah. It is. It's great. Great. That's why, definitely, like, I like this movie. It's genuinely good. It's genuinely, like, a... A nice uh, middle grade movie, mm-hmm. you know, like um, for that, for the age of coming out of cartoons and coming into more live action movies. Yep. Um, Walden Media was, is really good with that. And Disney kind of has a few of those in the kind of the in-between zone. Mm-hmm. The tween, as we might call it. <laughs> we might, or we might not. Or we might not. And I think we might start to even do a few more of those movies as our kids are kind of getting into that age group mm-hmm. on this podcast. So Especially who knows? our older daughter. We might I mean, be. our younger is still. We might have to start calling ourselves a tween movie podcast. <laughs> <laughs> or we might not. Or we might not. Um, one of the things about this movie that I just wanted to say, even though it's a bit weird, is... This is the first movie when I realized that I have, I think it's called trichophobia. It's not really a real thing, apparently. Like, psychologically, they haven't proven that it's a real phobia. But you'll find it on tons of people online talking about it. It's like the fear or the uncomfortability looking at something that has irregular sized holes. (laughs) And it's like, it's if you look at like a lotus seed and it makes you feel uncomfortable for some reason or makes you grossed out that's called trichophobia and the first time i ever or like when i watched this movie i remember saying to you there's something about all those holes that grosses me out and you were like i have no idea what you're talking about (laughs) and i was like huh i guess that's weird about me and then um, the internet told me that no other people feel this too (laughs) (laughs) That was one of my first encounters with this idea of, like, a whole bunch of holes makes me, like, grossed out and feel uncomfortable. But I am not the only one who feels that way. I feel like in this movie, the overhead shots of the whole bunch of holes is really are really cool. I like them. Yeah, see, there's a part of me that also really enjoys seeing, yeah, like, how many holes there are really shows something cool about the camp. Mm-hmm. And how long it's been and how many holes have been dug. So should we move into the way portion of our show? I think we definitely should. I would like to start with Madame Zeroni. Mm-hmm. Played, by the way, uh, absolutely charmingly by Eartha, Eartha Kitt. Yes. Who has never been in anything that I haven't loved her in. Eartha Kitt is a queen. She certainly is. Um, But she's a gypsy who curses a gypsy curse. Yeah, yeah. That's problematic. Now, to lift the curtain a little bit, we normally record this podcast immediately after watching the movie, but this time, for reasons, it's almost a week after we watched it. I can't remember now. In either the book or the movie... One of them calls her an Egyptian, and the other one calls her a gypsy. Do you remember which one it is? 
Which one is which? I do not. I think that the book says there was an old Egyptian woman who lived, and mm-hmm. the movie says an old gypsy woman. Uh, either way, it's still problematic either way. Yep. I would prefer, like, Romani and Egyptian are not the same thing. <laughs> yeah. That's where gypsy comes from, by the way. People thought incorrectly that Romani people came originally from Egypt, and so they called them gypsies, as in short for Egyptian. Um, that's really neither here nor there. Uh, it's just a little bit why gypsy is a slur. Mm-hmm. So Egyptian maybe is marginally better. Although when you call someone Egypt, when you, you book, name someone as Egyptian, but give them the characteristics of a storybook gypsy, like fortune telling cursing person, you're conflating that back again, even if you use the word Egyptian instead of gypsy, right? Yep. So I like uh, the story, the plot of the the cursed family and the lifting the curse, but I do not at all like the trope of the old gypsy woman who places a curse on a family because fortune-telling gypsies are magic. Mm-hmm. It's a bit of a magical book. Yeah. But that doesn't make it okay to, no. to make someone an other in this way. Yeah. The way Madame Zeroni is. Yes. And it's a bit of it. It's one of the things I talked about, about some tonal disconnect, right? Because Mm -hmm. there is some humanizing of her that comes with, you should move to America. That's where my son moved. I have an actual family and life, right? Yeah. That then does not fit totally comfortably with, I'll curse you and your family if you don't do my magic thing. Mm -hmm. Right? Those things. And... The story of this town being cursed by God for not treating Sam like a human does not sit comfortably with this gypsy woman cursed the family on a technicality because gypsies are tricksy. Yeah. Right? Would it have been better if she was a generic fortune teller? I don't know. That still would have been coded. Eastern European fortune teller is already is coded gypsy. Yeah. Right. And maybe it would be better if you stepped away from that a little bit, uh, but it would still be a problem. Like maybe it'd be better, but it'd still be a problem. So I'm not like, I'm not sure the best way because the curse is important to the story and I, it's a part and I'm an element of the story I like. There's not a simple way to fix it. No. And it's a problem. Yeah. Yeah. However, in terms of diversity, this book, this movie and the book, frankly, describes it as quite diverse. The children, especially. Mm-hmm. And there's a, the, I mean, we should talk about the racial politics of the movie apart from Madame Zeroni, because the children, the boys at the camp are mostly either African-American or Latino. Mm-hmm. But there are white boys also. Yeah. And there's a 
there is something uh, worth paying attention to when you have a bunch of people in what is, for all intents and purposes, a prison, and all the, I mean, the warden and uh, the two adult, the two, the uh, Mr. Pedansky, the counselor, and Mr. Sir, the, I don't know what his official title is, are all white. Hmm. And so you have the white guards and racially mixed, but among the kids, white as a minority, prisoners. That's saying something. Though. I know. That's a commentary that I think is good. Like, it's I good agree. that they're saying it. It's not good that it, it happens, but I think it's a good thing that they're saying it. I agree. I'm not saying this to say that shouldn't be. I'm saying that to like pay attention to that because I think it was a deliberate choice and I think it was a deliberate choice that is uh, valuable. Mm-hmm. And then when you have zero, I mean, the movie is also, I think, consciously drawing class and race and uh, privilege, um, drawing the connections between them. Mm-hmm. So Zero, who is there because he was homeless and stole shoes so he could wear them. Uh, and we don't know what all the other kids did to get there. But we do know that, like, Stanley is innocent, is poor, uh, didn't have, couldn't afford a lawyer. And that's part of why he is there. And even so, he's privileged compared to the rest of them. Mm-hmm despite his uh, poverty. Yeah. Right? And that's very, that's text. Yeah. Like, he's privileged compared to the rest of them. He's the piper, if this is Orange is the New Black. <laughs> <laughs> True. <laughs> Just watch the last season of Orange is the New Black. Um, I think that there's, this movie is not blind to the significance of having mostly... Uh, people of color in prison with, you know, imprisoned by white people. Yeah. Uh, And I don't think this movie, I think there could be more said, a lot more said, and maybe we can say it now, but I also don't think that this movie is at all blind to the connection between the boys at Camp Green Lake and like chain gangs. Mm Mm-hmm. Right? Not at all. I think it's making that, and part part of the way it's making that those connections really clear is by the choice of the music. Mm-hmm. There's also, I mean, there's a really significant part, I think, where it really doesn't shy away from things by Zero starts digging the holes for Stanley. Yep. And you have a bunch of boys call out like, oh, the white guy is sitting there in the slate and he's got his slave slaving away for him digging his doing his work for him yeah like it's very explicitly called out and these racial tensions are there the way they are Mm -hmm. i just i appreciate them not ignoring that that you don't have kids who are like oh you're just being lazy they're specifically saying you're having a black kid be your slave yeah, this is not a colorblind movie. No. And maybe it is raising sometimes issues that it is not willing or interested in fully addressing. Mm-hmm. But it's not blind to them. 
I kind of like that, that the, those issues are brought up, but they aren't solved no. in the movie. This movie doesn't try and solve racism or solve no. tensions. It just shows you that they're there. And I I'm, think that's super important for a kid's movie to have and to recognize that and to not pretend like, you know, la-di-da, everything's fine. You're going to grow up in a world where these things are, aren't fine. They're there. Those tensions exist. And for a reason... I agree. I totally agree. I think it's good that this movie didn't try to solve racism, that this movie was aware of these issues without necessarily trying to solve them. If I have one critique of that, it's that uh, in the past with Kate and Sam, that is not just a background. It becomes a central theme. Mm -hmm. And so I just wonder in terms of storytelling, whether in the past, that's not just incidental. It's no. central to their story. Yeah. Like, uh, they're a mixed race couple and the townspeople don't like it. Yeah. And then, so I think there do need to be movies that dramatize and, uh, demonstrate racial inequality and racial tensions without it being central to the story, like show that this exists. I wonder if for a movie that raises it as a central theme, it would have been valuable to address it a little more head on. Hmm. But I don't know. I'm not not sure. sure. The book, I think, addresses it ever so slightly more head on by having the line in the book that uh, the people say that God's going to curse Kate for uh, carrying on with Sam. And then the narrator says, you judge for yourself who God cursed and never reigned again on Camp Green Lake. Yeah. On Green Lake. Um, so the book kind of more explicitly says God judges the racists. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Yeah. The movie doesn't do doesn't, that. Yeah, you're right. But it's implicit but not explicit yes. in the movie. Yeah. I think, too, like, it's... Harsh, like you said, the tonal shift between, like, Sam gets shot. Yeah. Like, you have this sweet love story that you're watching, and then he's killed. And that's a bit harsh, but also, I like that it's not sanitized. Yeah. Like, that's literally things that happened. And and it's harsh, but it's a little bit, for a child viewer, it's um, softened a little bit by the fact that it happens far away from the camera and it's a flashback to people who we are ve- we already are very aware were already dead. Yeah. Which I'm saying as a good thing that like it's giving you a uh harsh story but not in like a traumatizing way for child viewers. Yeah, exactly. So I mentioned in the preamble there a little bit about the meanness of the boys. Mhm. That they're a bit more, I felt like they're a bit more mean in the movie than in the book. But we kind of talked about this off mic and you were saying, you were reminding me of like, oh, maybe they are a bit mean in the book too. I just feel like it gets friendlier faster. Hmm. And I feel like in the movie, they just continue to be really mean to uh, Stanley. I think it's true that Stanley gets a little bit more in, mm-hmm. in the book. I think they continue to be mean. Uh, 
inclined a bit towards meanness and particularly zigzag who's the meanest in the movie is mean in the book too yeah um but i will acknowledge that in the book by the climax where he runs away from camp in the movie he still is very much an outsider in that camp and in the book he isn't yeah in the book he's in with them all Mm -hmm. and they are not i kind of like actually in both the book and the movie that although we have a lot of reason to suspect that for more because the two kids whose backstories we know are stanley and zero and stanley is innocent and zero committed the crime but the punishment is uh not commensurate to the severity of the crime yeah right like he's stole shoes because he is homeless and needed shoes for his feet and is sent to this work camp where he's, you know, tortured. Um, And that leads, I think, gives us reason to suspect that all the other kids are, have extenuating circumstances and backstories and reasons and whether they did it or not. I think we have reason, we are led to believe that Stanley's the only one who is literally innocent, but all the rest of them are children who have their own sad story like Zero does, right? Yeah. But having said that, I kind of like this movie and book. uh, I kind of like this movie for giving us that, but also being like, they're not uh, naive, wide-eyed, heart of gold. They're like kids who would be in in juvenile detention. Yeah. That is, and I especially like Theodore Armpit. Mm-hmm. One of the last things he does is tell my mom I'm sorry. I call my mom. What? Tell her I said I was sorry. Tell her Theodore. Said he was sorry. And he's insisted through the whole movie that he's Armpit, not Theodore. Yeah. And like, the movie gives us vulnerability and reason to to believe in more vulnerability than it shows us. Yeah. But at the same time, it shows their hard shell being actually hard. Yeah. Right? So they're rough and bullying and mean to each other because they would be. And I would not like it if they were all like, you know, really sweet and supportive of each other. Yeah. It just would ring false, I think. You know what I mean? Yeah, I see what you're saying. I just felt like... They, there was a harder, crueler interior than what was portrayed in the book. Hmm. That I feel like what you're saying is is there's they're hard. I don't know. I feel like they're harder on the outside, and they don't show that soft inner side until the very, very end. And I wish I could have seen more of that. Mm-hmm. X-Ray has a scene in the book where he kind of reveals some real vulnerability to Stanley that doesn't happen in the movie. Yeah. I think X-Ray of the kids, Zigzag, X-Ray, and Armpit are the, you know, other than Zero, who is a main character. Yeah. But of the more minor kids, X-Ray, Zero, and Armpit are the ones we see the most. Mm-hmm. Zigzag should be a jerk. Mm-hmm. Armpit has his real, has like a vulnerability at the end that I really like, but X-Ray maybe 
should have been a little bit more uh, sympathetic, not should have been a little bit kinder to Stanley to match how he's portrayed in the book. Yeah. And maybe to soften the whole world a little bit. Mm-hmm. You commented when we were talking off mic about Mr. Pendanski being meaner in the book, meaner in the movie, I mean. Mm-hmm. I think he is meaner in the movie. I think that's true. Um, I don't dislike it, though. Because he's only mean to Zero. And it reveals, and by the end of the movie, he's a real villain. Yeah. But the way that he's mean to Zero early in the movie is like a, I think appropriately, like, his platitudes are platitudes. Yeah. Right? Point. And I think it's worthwhile to show us that. Because mm-hmm. if he actually cared about them, he wouldn't be here at all. Yeah. yeah right? This, yeah. He wouldn't be at this camp that makes them dig holes every single day. That's a good point. Do you want to talk at all about gender in this movie? Absolutely. I mean, it's a movie about a boys' camp, mm-hmm. and so there aren't any young girls. Nope. The only women in this movie are the warden, mm-hmm. Kiss and Kate Barlow, mm-hmm. slash Kara, Catherine, uh, Stanley's mom. Mm-hmm. Is that it? Basically. And his lawyer. His lawyer. Right. His lawyer shows up at the end. So... None of them talk to each other. None of them interact with each other. The lawyer and the warden talk to each other. Oh, they do. But it's about Stanley. Yeah. Yeah. So there's four women in it. But so I don't love like the lack of women. But I do like that the four women we have are basically all fully fleshed characters. They all have a personality that you can understand and you can uh, point to various personality traits in each of them. Yep. Uh, They're strong and not stereotypes. No. Pretty much any of them. Even the mother who's the flattest of all of them. Yeah. Is actually a character with who you can, I mean, she's enough of a fully fledged character that you could write a line and say, no, his mother wouldn't say that. Yeah, and like, and I like that his mother, despite, yeah, she's barely in the movie, but what she is in is, um, you feel like she's going to be this character we've seen a million times where the, she's the shrew who's always putting down what the dad is doing, and she is, she doesn't always like, like, this whole, like, he makes her smell the stinky shoes because he's this inventor who's trying to cure foot odor. But then she's also really supportive. Yep. She has a really supportive streak in her. And I like that. I like that difference and that, that she's not cruel to her husband. As soon as she smells the shoe and it doesn't smell like anything, she is jumping up and down with him just as happy as he is. And that she's not, like, she doesn't believe in the curse, and she uh, wants, like, she, we know about her from this movie, we know that she uh, supports her, encourages her inventor husband, but is uh exasperated by it. She doesn't believe in the family curse. She feels sad that they're poor she like 
Mm-hmm. He has a few different character traits and not like that deserve a cookie for, but like she's the least of them. Yeah. Madame Zeroni's the other one in the movie. Oh, yes. Madame she also Zeroni. doesn't talk to anyone. Yeah. Oh, and the the girl that uh, Yelnat, uh, Elia Yelnats falls in love with, whose head oh, is yes. empty as a flower pot. Yes. Yeah, she's pretty funny. See, and that's why I like, she can be this like stereotypical boneheaded girl because we have a lot of other characters in the movie. So I appreciate that. That she's not, if she was the only character in the movie, it would be a big, big problem. Kate Barlow, I like as a character quite a lot. Mm -hmm. That she goes from this uh, school teacher who's kind of too smart for the town that she's in to like when she when her true love is killed, she goes on a rampage of revenge and robs every stagecoach and becomes a notorious outlaw. And like, that's all great. Yeah. I love like, it feels her change feels natural. Yeah. It feels plausible. Yeah. It's not like it's like plausible in the real world really, but like the fact that they, yeah, they kill her, her love. And then the, the sheriff asks for a kiss all drunkenly. And then she comes back the next day and shoots him and gives him a kiss yeah, and then goes off on her thing. And like, there's no coming back from that. And she knows that. So like she does the one evil thing that, or like, you know, unlawful thing because she had to. And then she's like, well, there's no coming back. I'm just going to go full on outlaw. And the warden is also a very, good character like she's a great villain and in the both the book and the movie for the first until you meet the warden she's just referred to as the warden the warden the warden and so you assume that the warden is male yeah until she shows up and her boots land on the sand and she walks out and all you you get the slow pan up of, of her body realizing that she's sigourney weaver (laughs) <laughs> and uh, and I quite like that that like they've been gearing up for it to be a man and then it's not and it's kind of uh, the joke's on you yeah the viewer that like you just assumed that you shouldn't assume those things yeah they never there's a l- lot of you, they don't mislead you at all yeah there's a lot of subversive things like this where they'll pull the rug out from under you and go hey you were thinking it was going to be this but it's really this and the lawyer is a smaller presence in the movie than in the book. Mm-hmm. She's fantastic in the book. Yeah. She's there for a short time, but she's like such a, makes such an impression. In the movie, a little less. It's still good. Yeah. And yeah, and to have the lawyer be a woman when they didn't have to, but they did. And that's something that we ask for all the time. Yeah. Is like, so you're going to have a boys camp. You could easily, if you're going to have a boys camp, you could have no women in this movie whatsoever. The only yep. woman could have been kissing Kate Barlow. And even and, her. Yeah, I mean, yeah. And so, but they don't. They make almost every other character who comes into the story a woman. And so that kind of, it doesn't balance out nope. the boys camp, but it helps to round it out a bit. And it seems like it must have been deliberate is what yeah. it really is. It would have been easy Like, even Kissing Kate Barlow, it would have been easy to have uh, Sam be the woman she was killed and her love goes off and is an outlaw. And then the one who we spend the most time with would be the man. And then the warden could be a man and the lawyer could be a man. 
like that would be easy if you weren't paying attention. Yeah. Exactly. As writing this clearly Lewis Sacker writing both the book and the movie noticed that there's an awful lot of boys. Let's make everyone whose gender doesn't uh, plot matter female. Yeah. Still, despite that being like good for him, this is still a very boy heavy story. Yes, it is. It sure is. Yeah. And most, I mean, Madame Zeroni, we've already talked about her being a problematic character, but she exists to facilitate the plot and to help uh, to both facilitate and then be an obstacle to Stanley's great-great-grandfather getting what he wants. The Kiss and Kate Barlow is a interesting and fun character, but she's kind of also uh, plot... Once she's an outlaw, she's a plot element rather than a real character, maybe. Mm-hmm. I don't know, though. I was going to say, like, do all these people, act? do all these women actually have their own agency and purpose? Or are they just there to help the men uh, actualize or to prevent the men from actualizing? But I don't think Kate Barlow or the warden. No, yeah, I don't think either of them fall into that category. I think that Madame Zeroni and the lawyer both do. Yeah. But the warden has her own motivation. She wants things. She doesn't really care about Stanley for his own sake. It's not all about men for her at all. Mm-hmm. It's about her own story and what she wants. And same with Kate Barlow is like yeah. motivated by revenge, sort of, at first. But she's also like has a character. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, exactly. So it could have done a lot worse, is what I'm saying. It really could have. It, I think it's it's quite good. Um, what else would you like to take seriously about this movie? Anything else you can think of? I mean, we talked a little already about uh, what this movie has to say about the prison. Um, so maybe we don't need to rehash that. But it's a prison movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a prison escape movie, even. Yeah. Zero and Stanley escape the prison. They do. When we talked already about class in the movie, Mm -hmm. I think, I don't know. I think I've uh, covered what I'd like to. Then is it good and is it seriously good? What do you think? I am inclined to say it's both. Yeah. I think it's quite good. I mean, I don't think it's like the best movie ever. No. But I think it's quite good. And I think it's seriously good. Yeah. I think a lot of the things we've landed on are they do the right thing. Mm-hmm. When given a choice, they are doing the right thing. The thing that is the most of an impediment to calling it seriously good for me is the gypsy. Yep. That's bad. Yep. There's a lot else that is good or at the very least they could have done a lot worse. Yeah. Absolutely. I would never, I am not at all conflicted about calling it good. I, no part of me wants to call it less than good. Seriously good. The question is whether the gypsy, the presence of a gypsy is enough to ruin it. 
I don't I think, think it, I don't think it is, but if you do, then I'm willing to change. I think if I was Romani, I might think it was. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You make a good point. And that's maybe one of the things that we need to uh take seriously about our own rating system is what do we tend to give a pass to? Yeah. From our position, especially mine, of privilege. I feel comfortable saying, eh, it's a little sexist, but it didn't bother me. Like, meh. So there's a magical gypsy woman who curses the family. That's not enough to, hmm. to make it seriously not good. <laughs> I would like it to be seriously good. I want it okay. to be seriously good. And it's doing seriously good things in a lot of different venues i think but that is a real sticking point so we kind of have these steps between bad and good and so i would say seriously medium good i will call it seriously medium good i'll agree with you because maybe it's a step down from seriously good i think it is okay (laughs) you've convinced me and i think you make a very good point is that sometimes our position of often let's not pretend often our position of privilege fails to take into account some certain things. Yeah. Well, if you want to talk to us about holes and what do you, whether you think it's good or bad or somewhere in between medium good, if you think we're medium good <laughs> or medium bad, oh. uh, <laughs> talk to us, give us your rating of Jan and Paul. Um, you can contact us to give us those thoughts on Twitter at WTS cast. We are also available via email for your long rants about how seriously bad we are or seriously good. We are (laughs) (laughs) way too seriously cast at gmail.com. We are on Facebook and Reddit as well. Those links are in our show notes. I think we're also on Instagram. Did you put something on Instagram recently? I did. Well, yay. (laughs) Oh, I did on our other. Yeah. Oh, is it our other Instagram? We, we're on Instagram. We barely do anything there, but maybe I will do more. Maybe you'll do more. I'll draw a picture of a hole and put it on. You have my <laughs> word. Fun. All right. Um, what else do we say in this part? Oh, yeah. Patreon. Patreon.com slash clockworkscast is where you can give us anywhere from a dollar to whatever you want a month. And you get extra bonus features and uh, early access to all of our podcasts and find out a little bit more about us and support us by uh, freeing up our time to make and produce more podcasts that we love to make. Paul Mm -hmm. had a random podcast idea today that probably won't happen because we don't have the time for it. But But if you (laughs) don't, if we had a couple hundred more dollars on Patreon, it would definitely happen. Exactly. (laughs) So I've been Paul Moffat. I've been Jan Moffat. And podcasting builds character. You podcast a podcast every day. When your podcast is done, you can change out of your podcasting clothes into your recreational clothes. You said podcast a lot of times just now. I did say podcast a lot of times. Maybe I should cut out that podcast, podcast rant about podcasting. <laughs> Gonna dig me home. I'll tell you a secret right now, listeners, that maybe is not a secret. Maybe it is obvious. 
I never know what I'm going to say at this last thing until I start saying it. <laughs> I don't have a plan. 